Hello and welcome to the June 2022 episode of The Seagull. The Seagull is the place to stay up to date on everything you need to know about the 102nd Intelligence Wing at Otis Air National Guard Base, right here from beautiful Cape Cod, Massachusetts. I'm Tim Sandlin from Public Affairs, and I will get you up to speed on what's going on here at the Wing. In this month's show, we've got the Otis Civilian Advisory Council's annual Memorial Day ceremony. We get a little history about Juneteenth and a bit of information related to motorcycle safety. Finally, we hear a clip from this month's Chevrons. You won't want to miss it. But first, in this month's command message, Colonel Wendy Armejo, commander of the 202nd Intelligence Surveillance Reconnaissance Group, talks about recognizing the unique talents of each of our airmen, observance of Pride Month, and investment in our diverse force. Ladies and gentlemen of the 102nd Intelligence Wing, I'm Colonel Wendy Armijo, and I'm honored to officially welcome you to drill, annual training, and to present your command message for June 2022. As a wing, we look forward to spending some extended time to train together in our military units, to hone our skills, improve readiness, and strengthen our teams. As we embark on the next two weeks, let's take a moment to acknowledge that the 102nd Intelligence Wing would not be as strong, proficient, and as mission ready without the unique talents of each individual member. It's the responsibility of commanders to recognize and capitalize on the strengths of its members to unite them into a cohesive warfighting organization. Likewise, it's the responsibility of each member to put their best foot forward in each endeavor. Whether it's participating in a readiness exercise, ensuring ancillary training is up to speed, or working so that your physical fitness is at its best, let's all pull together for the good of the team. And in the theme of individual talents contributing to unit strength, it's important to acknowledge that June is LGBTQ Pride Month. We join communities across the globe who celebrate in various ways during this month in order to recognize the influence and contributions of LGBTQ people have had in our community and our country. As historical background, June was chosen as Pride Month because it commemorates the Stonewall Riots of 1969. The Stonewall Riots occurred starting June 28, 1969, when New York City police raided the Stonewall Inn, which was a club in Greenwich Village where LGBTQ individuals were socializing. During the raid, the police harassed and hauled both patrons and employees out of the bar. This raid sparked a riot among bar patrons and neighborhood residents, which lasted for days and served as a catalyst for the gay rights movement in the United States and the world. Today, Pride Month is an opportunity to not only raise awareness of the current issues facing the community, but also to celebrate and encourage inclusiveness. For members of the military, it wasn't until the Department of Defense's legacy policy of don't ask, don't tell was repealed in 2010, just 12 years ago, that LGBTQ members were finally able to authentically and openly serve their country. And just last year, the Pentagon went even further to expand its diversity policies when the ability to serve was again open to transgender individuals. The policy also gave those already in the military the ability to transition while serving, provided they can meet appropriate standards regarding fitness for duty. This ensures that the most talented and motivated citizens have the opportunity to actively serve in uniform and truly capitalizes on the idea of strength through diversity. 
In June, we not only honor the tumultuous path that LGBTQ members in the armed forces have taken, but we also applaud the fantastic strides the DOD has made in acceptance, inclusivity, and ensuring that each member is appreciated for the contributions they make to our military units and ultimately to national security both at home station and in the de various deployed locations around the world. I challenge my fellow commanders and the senior NCOs of the wing to mentor young airmen of all backgrounds. Invest in each person, share your experiences, create opportunity for all members of your unit, and open the door for others. Let's create a culture of openness and curiosity, always treating others with respect. Challenge assumptions, raise awareness, and find common ground with those around you. Let's take it upon ourselves to produce rising leaders who embody the core values of the Air Force. When just in recent history, LGBTQ members could not serve openly and honestly, let's now groom airmen who serve with courage, genuinely, and with a path to success. Without a doubt, the diverse makeup of our Air Force and the Air National Guard is the best part about us. When individuals come together in a confident and cohesive team, it creates a capable and ready force. Finally, as we all welcome a long-awaited summer, warmer weather, and time off with family and friends, please be safe and well. Thank you. Last month, at the end of May, we observed Memorial Day. As it's been done for decades, the Otis Civilian Advisory Council put together a beautiful ceremony that recognized the sacrifices of all who have laid down their lives in the service of their country. OCAC President Vonnie Jackard officiated the event, followed by comments by Joint Base Cape Cod Executive Director Brigadier General Christopher Foe. This weekend, we joined thousands of large and small communities throughout the United States to pause, to honor, and to remember those men and women who, while in defense of freedom, sacrificed their lives. This memorial park was established 53 years ago to ensure that those lives lost will continue to mean something for we, the benefactors of their service. It's the incredible efforts of organizations like OCAC that remind us of our value, not only to society in general, but the mission of every person, past or present, that wear the uniform those that support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Members of OCAC, unlike many Americans, truly understand that freedom is not free. The price that some people pay for that freedom is exactly why we gather here today. Keynote speaker Colonel Sean Riley, 102nd Intelligence Wing Commander, spoke on the importance of Memorial Day. Opportunity, legacy, duty, purpose, patriotism. The reason someone chooses a life of military service differs from person to person. But even though there are many reasons to join and serve, there is one common understanding for the men and women in the armed forces. Service means sacrifice up to and including one's own life. The Otis Memorial Park was originally created to honor the crew of an Air Force Constellation aircraft that crashed into the ocean on a mission well over 50 years ago. Since the first memorial was placed, many more memorials have been added to remember the Coast Guard, Air Force, Army, Marine, service members, and civilians that have lost their lives in service to their country. Riley also spoke of Captain Alan Lavoie, a 101st Fighter Squadron pilot who lost his life in the line of duty back in 1983. 
Today I would like to share the story of one of those brave Americans, Captain Alan Lavoy. His memorial is right over here on my right, the second one past uh, the tree. And there's a plaque on the stone and a quote that reads, a man can have no greater love than to lay down his life for his friend. Captain Lavoy was in the 101st Fighter Interceptor Squadron, Massachusetts Air National Guard, and died on June 6, 1983. At approximately 1100 hours on a cloudy morning, just about 39 years ago, Captain Lavoy and two other pilots uh, took off in their F-106 Delta Darts from Otis Air National Guard Base on a training sortie. They headed south over the islands to a training airspace called Whiskey 105 and then headed in different directions to practice and intercept. At 11.40 hours, the other two aircraft flying with Captain Lavoy could not re-establish radio or visual contact with him. A concentrated search of more than 12,000 square miles was performed by the Air Force, Coast Guard, and Navy for almost five days. Unfortunately, no signs of Captain Lavoy or his aircraft were ever found. On the evening of the fifth day, a brief statement announcing suspension of the search at nightfall simply stated that Captain Lavoy, 31, is presumed dead. Captain Alan J. Lavoy was a husband and a father of three young children when he died while serving his country. He was a local Cape resident and an extremely experienced pilot who also flew for a commercial airline while serving in the Air National Guard. His memorial service was held on the Lower Cape with hundreds of family, friends, and fellow guardsmen attending. The service concluded with the 101st Fighter Interceptor Squadron performing a missing man formation over the church. The wing commander at the time, Brigadier General Olson, told the unit that the loss of Captain Lavoy had profoundly affected all of them, but he also reminded the men and women of the wing that they needed to press on with the mission at hand because Al Lavoy would have wanted it that way. In closing, Riley spoke of the sacrifice of all military members and the responsibility of every citizen to never forget. So we must continue to share their stories and remember what they sacrificed for the rest of us. Today, less than 1% of the population is willing to put their lives on the line to support and defend the Constitution of the United States and to go towards danger and willingly face atrocities that most of us can't even fathom. But we can ensure that those Americans who are willing to serve and make the ultimate sacrifice can rest in peace, knowing that they are appreciated by grateful citizens and that they will not be forgotten. Next, we hear from Navy Petty Officer 2nd Class, Robin Melvin, from Armed Forces News, as she talks about the history of Juneteenth. A lot of people may ask, what is Juneteenth? It goes by many names, Jubilee Day, Liberation Day, Emancipation Day, and Freedom Day, but ultimately, it's called Juneteenth. Juneteenth celebrates the day when the last of the slaves in America were notified and released into freedom. June 19, 1865. Although the Emancipation Proclamation was signed on January 1, 1863, it would take two and a half years for all slaves to be notified of their freedom. June 19th celebrates not just the freedom of African Americans, but the freedom of all Americans. We celebrate those who uplift, those who share their wisdom, and those who became our role models. 
role models like John Henry Turpin, one of the first black Navy chiefs, or Vice Admiral Samuel Gravely, the first black officer serving aboard a fighting ship, and the first black admiral. Secretary Lloyd J. Austin III, the first black Secretary of Defense. Not to forget the Vice President Kamala Harris and President Barack Obama, the first to hold their offices in the White House. So on Juneteenth, America remembers where we came from, where we are now, and where we need to go. With the nice weather upon us, it feels like a good time to talk about safety. In this case, motorcycle safety. Here are some tips before you gear up for your next ride. Oh, hey. Just about to head home for the day. Did you know that all military members are required to take a basic riding course in order to ride their motorcycle on base? Not only is the course paid for by the wing, but I also receive a discount on my insurance premium just by taking it. In addition, riders must wear personal protective equipment while operating a motorcycle, either on or off duty. That means a helmet, a long sleeve shirt or jacket, gloves, trousers, and protective footwear. If you're riding at night, make sure you've got something on that is reflective, like the lines on my jacket or this reflective belt. While military uniforms are acceptable, a riding jacket like this one will definitely keep you safer. Alright, keep the shiny side up and see you out there. Before we go, here's a preview of our other podcast, Chevrons. From junior enlisted to senior leaders and those in between, we interview notable individuals to address everyday challenges and hurdles the enlisted force faces. Featured on this episode are Chief Master Sergeant Denny Richardson, the Command Chief of the New York Air National Guard, and Tech Sergeant Frederick Friedman, a recruiter at the 109th Airlift Wing, Scotia, New York, who talked about adapting and embracing culture shift in the force. The Air Force had to adapt. They had to adapt because the young members that are coming in today were not us. You know, so they know that they're going to have to be there. They need to be, you know, trained differently. They know how they receive information is, is different. You know, they grew up differently. They grew up in an age or in an era of technology, you know, where, you know, if they met a new person or, or, create, or made a new friendship, normally it was done behind their telephone, you know, on uh, snap, what is it? Snap, crap, snap, track, or snap, snap, chat, uh, <laughs> Instagram, Facebook, or, you know, <laughs> you know, so that's how they, you know, meet their, their, uh, friends, you know, that's how they made their, met their new, new acquaintances. So, you know, so just imagine that, just imagine taking a young trainee and the first time they get off the bus and that, you know, and, you know, now they have to have that face-to-face -face interaction with an MTI. Uh, you know, and with other members, you know, that's a tough transition to make for them, you know? So I think the Air Force has got it right. I think they adapted their style without sacrificing the discipline and the standards of what it means to be a professional air. They just adapted their leadership style, their style just a little bit, you know, so that they can get the most out of that trainee to turn them into productive airmen, you know? And, and, and that's a lesson for us all. You know, we have to be adaptable leaders. You know, we have to understand, you know, that that airman, that young airman that we are receiving back into our organization, which is not us. 
and was trained differently, you know, than we were trained, you know, and not only do we have to understand that, we have to respect it. We have to respect it. To me, a successful leader is a leader who's able to take members, you know, and motivate and inspire them to achieve their set objectives and goals. If you are not effective, and, and in order for us to do that, we have to be adaptable. We have to be adaptable, you know, because the same way I can speak to a Chief Sullivan, I cannot speak to an A1C Sullivan, you know, that, that same way. So we have to be able to adapt our leadership style. But for professional development, when I came up, uh, it was totally different to what the members are receiving now, which is, which is phenomenal because that means that we see the value in that. You know, and I think I said it before, what got us here or what got me here won't get them there. You know, so I need to make sure and understand that they have those tools, you know, to be successful. And it comes from professional development, not just for today's fight, but for the future fight as well. Our guest on that clip, Chief Richardson, hosts the Journeys Through Leadership podcast, which is currently in its second season of bringing in-depth conversations with airmen from all walks of life. Give it a listen on your podcast platform of choice. Here's a quick clip. And so the onus was upon me as a chief master sergeant, as a senior non-commissioned officer, to look at my career and decide where I wanted to go next. I mean, the development was happening throughout the course of my career, but it was at that point I had to decide if I was going to use the development or was I going to depend on someone else, you know, to define my career for me. And it was I'm going to get after it. And so I told him, so no, sir, I'm just going to apply for my next opportunity. And if it works, it works. And if it doesn't, then, you know, then that means that it's time for my career to end. You know, fortunately, it didn't happen that way. But it was just at that moment where, and I think it's for a lot of us in our careers, we've got to understand that, you know, the development that you have, if you understand and appreciate it, it will set you up for success. But part of it has to be you, you know, getting involved in where you're going to go next in your career. Because mm -hmm. there are great people out there that want to see you do greater things. But you've got to get after it yourself. And, and it can't be a case where, you know, you, you're depending on someone else to get there for you. you know, your organization will set you up for success. You've got to use those tools and resources they gave you to the best of your ability. Mm. All right. So now for myself, there were several, uh, about three different times where um, there was some impact in my life to think that, hey, it could be something bigger or something better that I can do within the organization and grow from there. You know, it, I take it all the way back to when I was an airman first class and I went to back then they didn't have a, um, ALS. It was called NCO prep. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so oh, I'm yeah. taking you back, oh, back yeah. in the day. The so, yeah, now, yeah, they had <laughs> NCO prep and I went to NCO prep. Um, and during that time period, uh, I, we, of course, we did briefings and marching and stuff and. After that course, they asked me, hey, you, you ought to consider being a facilitator instructor. And it was shocking to me because I thought, me? Uh, <laughs> you saw something in me to even ask me that? So that was one time. And mm -hmm. so then you move up to when I was staff sergeant. And um, back then, because so when I came in in 87 and during the 90s, we was a strategic reserve. So. Uh, within the airport, it was airport squad, and then we had over 200-some people, and it was packed with a lot of people staying to the age 60, and they didn't get out. And I went off to um, 
NCO Academy, and I pushed my chief at that time to let me go, and I went off as a staff sergeant up to McGee-Tyson, and going through uh, the NCO Academy, I missed being uh, John, John Levitor Award by about two points. Mm-hmm. And so that was a, another motivating, inspiring moment. I said, man, I may have some, <laughs> some gifts and skills here, possibly uh, some good work ethics to maybe take me into the future. <laughs> and, and then the last defining moment was um, when I got, when, uh, when 9-11 broke out and when 9-11 happened, uh, my unit got deployed for a year and um, we went off on deployment in a, at that time, a lot of people got out of got out of our unit because it's the first time people getting deployed, so it got thin. And and uh, they put me over the passenger service terminal in um, Rhein-Main, Germany, and um, I ran it, ran it, knocked it out of the park uh, based on the feedback from the leadership, and we moved there to some other locations downrange to Kuwait, then IUD, and um, did the same thing in those locations. And that kind of separated, did the separation from uh, – those who could uh, get things achieved and those who couldn't. And so mm-hmm. at that point, it gave me the momentum to start driving on for for other opportunities and got in a position. So that those are the three defining moments in my life where really it built my self-esteem to know that, hey, mm-hmm. I could probably achieve. I just continue to work hard, grind, continue to educate myself, invest in myself, and grow as an individual. So those kind of like three different areas. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you both for sharing, uh, you know, your stories um, and your message. So, you know, it sounds like to me that um, that that you both, you know, had folks in your corner that was not afraid to challenge you um, uh, yeah, and, and put you in those uncomfortable situations to see what you would do, you know, and um, it, I'm sitting here telling you, you must have did fine because you, <laughs> <laughs> you both you both turned out all right, um, you know, but um. Um, I'm going to share a quote uh, from uh, uh, Chappie James. Um, and, I, and I was reading this book called The Black Eagle. Um, mm-hmm. In that book called The Black Eagle, uh, you know, he said that his, his mother was an educator. Um, you know, and she used to always tell him that, you know, hey, you know, you're searching for opportunity. You know, don't go knocking on the door, opportunity. And when opportunity answers, you stand there and say, Give me a couple of minutes. I got to go pack my bags. <laughs> I like that. It ain't time for you to go pack your bags. You need to be prepared. Have your bags packed at the door. So when opportunity opens that door, you're ready to charge through. And, you know, so so sounds like you brothers were, were were ready to charge through that door when I'm opportunity knock. So uh, so hats off to you. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Seagull. You know, summer is nearly here. I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. Wait, is that a bus? Well, if it is, I bet it's heading to the beach. Enjoy the great weather and have some fun, but keep it safe. We want to see you all back here for the August RSD. Father's Day is coming up in a couple of weeks. Don't forget to pick up a really cool Father's Day present, like a cool pair of Argyle socks or a ratchet set, maybe a fishing pole. I don't know. Just make sure you get them a gift receipt just in case. For more news from the 102nd Intelligence Wing, visit our website at www.102iw.ang.af dot mil slash links or search for 102 IW on any major social media platform. And to close out this episode of the Seagull, the Bourne Middle School Select Choir who performed at this year's Memorial Day event. <laughs>